the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Anton Cordiel, and welcome to the final episode of Only Goats and Horses with Breadroll and JT. Anton Cordiel, indeed. Yep, it's the last one, Breadroll. We've finally reached um, the bittersweet end. Um, so we are looking at, if I can actually work out which one we're looking at, it's called <laughs> Sleepless in Peckham, the last ever episode, uh, aired on the 25th of December, 2003. It's a 75-minute episode, as the last couple have been as well, and only 16.3 million, so the last ever episode. And um, as we've said as well, sort of more things were available, I suppose, but 16.3 million, a drop-off of, what, 5, 6 million from sort of the peak we've had? Yeah, I wonder if, it w- if this was actually advertised as the um, the last episode. I actually don't remember watching this on TV. It's probably one of the episodes I think I've watched the least. And it's a weird one because I'm not going to say I dislike this episode, but if, it's a bit strange. Like, I don't know, it seems like they didn't quite know what they were trying to do with it. And, like, they were just trying to, like, make up for some of the errors from previously. I mean, they do wrap a lot of stuff up. And obviously we'll touch on the synopsis as we always do. But there's just something about this episode. It doesn't quite feel right to me. Um, so, yeah, it would have been interesting to see how it would have, was actually positioned back in the day, because I don't actually remember. Yeah, I, I can't remember watching it. I, I obviously did at the time when it was out. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones, isn't it? Almost, I don't want to say it's, it feels forced, but, yeah, it's um, it does feel a little bit unnatural. I don't know if that makes sense, but there is something about this one. No, I, I, that's probably the right word for it, forced, yeah, because some of them, they feel like they're kind of playing themselves, playing their characters almost. Like mm-hmm. the, like you say, the comedy doesn't feel as natural. It feels like they've sort of come back after a long stretch and they're just doing it, but the enthusiasm isn't there for most of it. And even some of the jokes are really, they're kind of just stupid. Like, again, like forced in there, and they're not, not that sort of natural, sort of clever comedy stuff, which we'll obviously, again, touch on as we go along. But yeah, there is... It's just something about this episode that it just, I don't know, it doesn't quite gel with me the way like the other ones have done, and especially not the way, um, obviously, Time on Our Hands did, the way that managed to wrap things up. Yeah, no, I completely get that. I mean, there's quite a few people who don't like the last three episodes. We've, we've obviously talked about two of them. We'll talk about this one now, um, you know, saying that they should never have been made, perhaps. And there are good moments in all three of them, but this one definitely feels the most awkward of three i would say yeah yeah definitely it does is the most awkward one It'd be interesting to, um as we go along to see about any points like you sort of call out and everything because even in my opinion some of the characters again don't feel like themselves in this and it almost feels like they're trying to set stuff up which is a bit silly because it's the final episode you should be wrapping stuff up so they kind of build friction between certain characters i think where you don't really need to do it because i assume everyone on set knew this was the last episode. John Sullivan bought three episodes or commissioned three episodes from the BBC, let them do it. So they knew they were wrapping things up. It just, yeah, it's just a bit of a weird episode in general, really. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. So, should we have a look at the uh, synopsis and bread roll? Yeah, let's take a look. Okay, this one's pulled from the main wiki as always. Big shout out to Dan Parkinson for the opening team tune. He never did record the end, but we knew he <laughs> wouldn't. Bless him. Um, check out his podcast, uh, Stage Fright. Definitely well worth a listen. So, this one, like I say, is pulled from the main wiki. I'm just having a look at it now, and parts of it are fucking pretty chunky, but we'll have a look at how it opens and go our way through it as we always do. So, all seems calm and peaceful at Nelson Mandela House. Cassandra is in the late stages of pregnancy, which means Rodney will finally become a father. Delboy takes Raquel's washing up gloves and drives to the cemetery to clean the monument that was his and Rodney's mother, Joan. He is revealed that they that after they became millionaires, the Trotters used some of their money to give their mother's grave a makeover. Later at the Nags Head, Sid tells Trigger, who has been creating a portable back scratcher made of chopsticks, that he has got some suggestions from Mike on how to make the pub look a lot better. He also shows Rodney, Trigger and Mickey Pierce an old photograph of the first Jolly Balls outing in 1960. Sid mentions that there were no more because the coach company refused to do business with them after the event of the last one. They also notice that Marlene has been mysteriously absent for several weeks. Mickey and Sid quickly believe that Boise has killed her. So that's quite a chunk there of how this opens. And I don't know, we've just said there, it just seems a bit forced. And all the characters just seem just not quite themselves in this. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. That, like I say, that synopsis bit there, that does cover quite a bit because they go back and forth to the pub and do a few bits up until mm. before they get to the bit where obviously Sid pulls out the um the picture, as it were. But yeah, it does feel a little bit forced. Like they're kind of like, it's almost like you, they videoed like a rehearsal of it, maybe, when everyone was like hung over. It just doesn't seem as lively. But um, obviously, straight away, we see like Raquel was pregnant. It's all right. So the job's done. And again, I still, I've mentioned it a few times in the past episodes and stuff. I don't really agree with them doing the whole miscarriage storyline in the first place it just I don't know it just wasn't really needed in a show like this so to do that and then a few episodes later do the whole right she's pregnant again thing I was like you're just trying to make up because like you're kind of admitting to yourself that you fucked up the storyline and shouldn't have done it in the first place or you know don't know what's going on there yeah it's weird isn't it I mean we've said over the last few episodes the whole miscarriage thing was a bit weird and it didn't really play a purpose whether something was supposed to come out of it or not I don't know because yeah she's pregnant again now happy days she's going to have the baby uh, spoiler alert but yeah I don't know it's just it's just really weird the fact that she had that miscarriage and it brought a real dark tone to to the program that doesn't really seem like it was needed no no absolutely not I mean we do get a couple of good lines here um because she's talking about like she's got a craving for like bacon sandwiches obviously she's now eating meat whereas normally she's a strict vegetarian and stuff and then um, Raquel pipes up saying oh when I was pregnant I just had a craving for tuna had it for breakfast lunch and dinner didn't I Dale and Dale's like yeah cool you should have been like kissing a good night it was like kissing Japan (laughs) (laughs) slightly on PC I guess that Um, but yeah I mean Dale was being quite well He's being Delny, but he's trying to be quite supportive of um, Raquel, uh, sorry, Cassandra being pregnant, saying that, you know, she's skinny and, and Rodney's skinny and they, they have a skinny baby. And he kind of backtracks because he realises that maybe that's a bit offensive saying he's skinny. And he says, you won't need a midwife, you need a goalkeeper because the baby will just slide out, which is <laughs> quite weird. But it's quite funny, I suppose. 
It is, yeah, it's it's quite funny, but again, it's one of those those gags that it doesn't really come across particularly well, in my opinion. Like it's one of those kind of it feels quite forced the way it's being done, and yes, yeah, I mean it is like amusing in its own right. And then we sort of catch on that Dell, he's a bit stressed, isn't he? Because obviously they're um they're looking to repossess the house, they're going to be forced out, and they're going to have to um auction off the the flat because obviously he's so behind on like his bills and all that sort of stuff, and he hasn't paid the inland revenue, so. He's kind of hiding that and sort of like Rodney knows a little bit of the story. Raquel knows a bit of the story, but they don't know that each other know, but they don't pair of them know the full story. And Dale was obviously doing that thing where he's kind of carrying all that weight and not telling anyone what's really happening again. That's obviously a, a running throughout the whole episode, really. Yeah, it's typical Dale boy, isn't it? I mean, he, he sort of gets shouted at on various occasions by Raquel and Rodney for hiding the truth. But it's that thing, isn't it? He's, he said in previous episodes that he kind of bears the whole weight himself and doesn't really know how to share it, does he? And it kind of like pisses everyone off, but, but he's trying to do it for the own, for well, for the right reasons, but he, he can't sort of share the burden, can he? No, he's just, he's so used to it, hasn't he? Even like after all this sort of time, it's, you know, it's just the way Del Boy is and he can't break that cycle. And I got to admit, I did like the fact that obviously he does go off, um, to Joan's grave, their mum, because um, we hadn't seen the grave site in ages. Last time we saw it, it was growing, glowing fucking yellow. And um, obviously they mentioned that when they were millionaires and stuff, they did pay for it. And he's got this massive, great big fucking monument. Because I love the way he's like, at first you just sort of see him and up close. He's like, oh, mum, how'd you like your obelisk? And then we get the wide shot and it's this fucking massive <laughs> thing. It looks like a fucking Greek god or something's been buried underneath it. And it's just ridiculous. But it's the first time in a long time episode wise that we've seen Dell like doing the whole thing where he's kind of like going to his mum and talking to her for advice and stuff. I did quite like the fact that they brought that back for a nice touch. Yeah, it was quite nice, wasn't it? And like you say, it's the first time we've seen it for for a few episodes, a good few years. Um and there's obviously um he picks up stuff that says there in synopsis needles and things. There's cans of special brew. And that was back in the day when special brew used to be nine percent. And now due to various legislations and whatever it's I think it's like seven and a half now. Um, you know, not bemoaning strong beer or advocating it, but, you know, how times have changed that special brew used to be like tramp juice, people used to call it. But it's weird as well, because people used to say, oh, yeah, it's tramp juice and everything, but it's like fucking two quid a can. So it's really not tramp juice. It's bloody expensive. But the alcohol volume's gone down to seven and a half now from nine. And I do remember drinking it when it was 9%. And, yeah, it used to get you pretty messed up. Yeah, it's pretty potent stuff. I think when I taste, first tasted it, it probably was around a 7% sort of period now. But yeah, I always did wonder that. It's like everyone calls it tramp juice. How can tramps have always got it and they're supposed to have no money? No offence to tramps or anything, but you know, what's going on there? They're buying one of the most expensive beers on the shelf. Well, you know, they're sat there saying a couple of, like, you've got any uh, pennies for a coffee, but we know they're not going to buy a fucking coffee with it. They're all about <laughs> the beer or whatever they can get their hands on. But that's a whole other story. Um and obviously there it's going on about um, Trig and everything. He's invented the uh, the back scratcher, which is basically a couple of chopsticks, and he sort of puts them together and says he's going to extend them. Um, you know, fair enough. I get a fucking itchy back, so I, I'd be all up for that, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's again, like Trigger, his mind's in the right place, isn't he? It? It's like you've got to invent something. <laughs> I do like the fact that he goes through a few things. He goes, what was the name of that guy who invented the Dyson vacuum? And <laughs> Den's like, Dyson? Yeah, that's him. And he sort of goes through a few other bits and he's like, you've got a, you know, an itchy back. What do you do? And I love Denzel's sort of throwaway line. He's like, buy another drink. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, I fucking would be. If I was listening to Trigger on Bloody Dragon's Den or something, well, that'd be amazing to see. 
It would, wouldn't it? One thing I did notice, though, um, Roger Lloyd Pack, he gets the um, the chopsticks out and his hands are really shaking. I mean, obviously, they're a little bit older in this episode. Um, and bless him, obviously, he's passed away now. But he um, he's really shaking when he gets the chopsticks out. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't know, but come to mention now, there are a couple of other scenes where he does look like just the way he's kind of holding himself, the way he's sat. He does look a little bit frail in parts of this episode. But yeah, I didn't know it's the handshaking specifically, but could could sort of shout out there. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, watching this last night, he's definitely um, shaking away there. Yeah, so this, um, I just going to say, like, that seems a bit strange as well, because it kind of, it cuts... It's like a flashback scene, which you don't normally get. I know, like, in if They Could See Us Now, um, they had the whole bit where, obviously, it's like, he says to Rodney, oh, yeah, we live a normal life, and then he has a quick look back, and you see, like, the bus explode, and it's, like, the greatest hits. But that was an episode that was, like, out of the blue after a few years. But this is actually a proper flashback moment, because they was talking to his mum's grave at this point. He goes, oh, Trigger's trying to invent things. And then it cuts to the pub as a flashback showing that conversation, and then it cuts back to the graveyard. I thought, fucking hell, it's like literally the first time they've done a proper flashback and only falls. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, it's, it's sort of kind of strange the way that happens, but I suppose it, it does work for the, the sort of episode. But yeah, you're right. And then we get, obviously, it goes to the flat where is that Rodney's going to try and type a novel. And again, this just feels like another throwback to like the Rhino Loose in the City moment when they're trying to come up with this book. But... Damien comes up and Rodney's like, actually, you might be able to help me with this. Oh, yeah? How? Bugger off and leave me alone. Oh, yeah, it's a brilliant <laughs> line. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so let's have a look at that bit then. This is next in the synopsis. So this is a bit of a chunk here, so bear with me. So back at the flat, Dale helps Rodney with an idea about a film with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts crashing an aeroplane on an uninhabited island of cave people, including Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble. Don't know about that. The next day, the Trotter brothers in Trigger find Denzel at a pizzeria and ask him if he's run off with Marlene. Denzel says that he's not seen Marlene recently either, but he has been in the hospital getting treatment for hemorrhoids. This prompts Dan and Rodney to go straight to Boise and ask him if he's murdered his wife and buried her in the garden. The Trotter brothers arrive at Boise's house and ask him, and he replies that he did not murder Marlene since she is home and upstairs asleep. Boise promises that he will bring Marlene with him to the nag's head that night. That night, at the nag's head, Boise arrives with Marlene, who shows everyone that the reason she was absent for the last couple of weeks was to get her chest surgically enhanced. Raquel uh, wisecracks at the sight of it, and Boise and Marlene are tricked by Sid into paying for everyone's drinks. The next day, Rodney, Raquel, berate Dell because they are nowhere near the total sum of money that they owe the inland revenue. Dell is deeply hurt when Raquel tells him only women bleed, and he angrily recounts his own life of having to take care of both Rodney and Grandad after their father abandoned them. As Raquel goes to lie down, Dale privately says to Rodney that if they do get evicted, then he and Raquel will go their separate ways. But Dale and Raquel are reconciled shortly after. So that's a fair old chunk there. And this whole Boise murdering Marlene thing... It's just fucking weird. I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny that they thought that, but even for Dell and his weird fucking views on things, it's just a little bit far out, isn't it? I think it's fucking stupid, to be perfectly <laughs> blunt. Yeah, but yeah, I, like, why would Boise actually murder Marley? And it's like, yeah, they'd be more likely to get a divorce or something. Like the fact that actually, like you say, comedy values, oh, yeah, maybe he murdered her. You'd say that as an off the cuff thing, but the fact that they actually put a plot on there. 
where they actually genuinely think Boise's murdered her. It's like, come on, hang about. It's just a bit fucking stupid now, isn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, the bit obviously before we get to all that sort of stuff, um, the bit when they're sort of writing the story and that, I mean, straight away, as I said before, it just reminded me of like there's a rhino loose in the city, but it's quite funny because it kind of makes you realise how modern it is, even though it's about 20 years old now, but they're talking about things like Harry Potter and all that lot. Mm. They're all obviously quite popular at the time. And then he's like, go on there, Rodney, write, write a book like that. And he goes, I can't write Harry Potter. Can I? It's been done. It's copyright. No, no, just change it. Just call him Harry Trotter. What you need is a couple of wizards and some little git with John Lennon glasses on. <laughs> it's always gives me a chuckle. Yeah, it is quite funny. Isn't it? Typical Dale boy. Just like, you know, we just change it a little bit and, you know, we'll have a hit on our hands. But yeah, I mean, they're fucking like they start off drinking. I don't know what they're drinking, but those drinks quickly stack up, don't they? They're on the Bacardi breezes or something at the end of it. But there's whiskeys and beers and all kinds of bottles of like lying around by the time the girls come back. Yeah, and in true like Trotter style, that most of the drinks are only half touched. I didn't notice the Bacardi breezes, and I thought, fuck, now I remember them little you know alcohol pops back in the day when they were all the rage but they're like half drinking and all these glasses are only half full or fully full it's like how do you get drunk you only take a sip of everything yeah exactly yeah Bacardi breezes my god yeah they were like sugar fest weren't they i'm pretty sure you can't get them anymore but um yeah i mean dell's like on, on about getting jordan and julia roberts into the film and he's obviously thinking about um the actresses he wants in there and Mel Gibson as well. <laughs> Rodney's not really uh, impressed at all, is he? No, he's kind of going along with the whole kind of like Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts at first. And then, like you say, when Dale starts saying, oh, yeah, we get like Jude, uh, Jordan and all that sort of stuff in there, he's like, yeah. And he's like, and saying all this stuff in the bit did give me a chuckle. He's talking about, like, oh, yeah, they, they're on this island and they're playing and everything. And then they're trying to take off and then a big bird gets sucked into the engine. And he says, like, oh, it's, I can't remember where he says his name is like Rosemary or something like that gets sucked in. She's quite a big woman. And Rod's like, no, not a big bird. A big bird as in like an eagle or something like that. He's like a cormorant woman, an eagle. We can't say cormorant or <laughs> he's trying to say, can he? And while all this is going on, like Cass and Raquel are at the nag's head, aren't they? Expecting Dale and Rodney to meet them. But I mean, it's probably the only time that they don't quite make it to the pub. They're obviously too pissed to even go downstairs. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. And Mickey, he's here, he's back in his, like, black and white outfit, looking like a cross between, like, a fucking mime and Bertie Bassett, isn't he? With his little, like, white stripe going around his trilby and his white tie. Yeah, and then when they um they do come back, Dell is, at one point, Dell's on the phone, isn't he, trying to get hold of Denzel when, sort of, he's gone missing. He says he's got a job for him worth 500 quid, but not really sure how that job, or what that job was, and how Dell's going to pay him 500 quid. Well, it's Dell, and he's not going to pay him. But yeah, like you said, I'm not sure where the deal came from because we never actually hear any more about whatever deal he's talking about, do we? Because he's still worrying about cash. He doesn't seem to have anything on the go. So, like you said, I'm not actually sure what this uh this deal was actually supposed to accomplish. And then this is about the time that it's sort of grinning nags head again, and Sid's talking about like um the mic. We get a mention of Mike, don't we? Like they're still obviously saying he's in jail and he's been on the phone to him and such. And he shows him the picture of the Jolly Boys out in the very first one which is actually the one that takes place in Rockin' Chips. And we get around to that one day. Um, and that's obviously late, leads to a big thing later on when they finally address Rodney's father. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because obviously Rodney takes the photo and we'll, we'll go into it a bit more when the synopsis brings it up when he, he properly looks at it. But he doesn't even seem to notice, does he, at that point? He just looks at it and goes, oh, this is funny and I, I want to take this so I can take the piss out of Dell. 
he doesn't notice that old Freddie robbed all at this point, which you think he would, so he's quite prominent. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going through most of the faces that are in yeah. there. And then, and then he sits down at the table. And this is another bit that I think is just a joke that's just stupid, for lack of a better term. Like, Trigger's like looking at it because they're talking about like sci fi. And he's like, oh, yeah, I like space. You know, it's everywhere, isn't it? And he goes, look at that star up there. Every now and then it goes, you know, it vanishes and then it comes back. And they're like, no, no, that's just blinking, Trigger. And it goes on for a bit. Then Trigger blinks and he goes, oh, there it goes again. And I'm like, this is really clutching its straws to try and make this funny because it's just stupid. I don't know. I don't know about you. I just don't find this bit like funny at all. It's more kind of like, surely you could have wrote something better than this. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, again, as we've said at the start, it's almost forced, isn't it? It's just, yeah, okay, it's funny, but the way it's played out is just a little bit, a bit too much. And we also find out that... Um, Rodney used to work for the Samaritans, don't we? That's mentioned. And um, Dale's the deal. No one ever called back or whatever. But, I mean, when when was that? Because we've, we've sort of seen Rodney grow up through the ages. I mean, we're, what, 25 years after the first episode here, nearly. And we, we've never seen him work for the Samaritans or, or, you know, it's never been mentioned before. So when did that actually happen? Well, yeah, as far as we know, he was at Basingstoke College. He got kicked out after being caught with weed with Shanghai Lil. And he's working for Dell ever since. He had like one or two tried to go for like legitimate jobs that lasted about five minutes. And then he got became a millionaire. Well, he got that job about um, Cassandra's dad, got fired, worked for Dell, became a millionaire. And now we're where we are. So, yeah, like you said, I'm not sure why that actually fits into the scheme of things. No, I mean, it's quite funny, I guess, but just doesn't fit into the timeline, really, does it? And then, as we sort of said, when Dell goes to see Boise and everything, and Rodney's like, yeah, you know, be calm, don't come straight out of it. And he's like, we think you've mur- murdered Marlene and buried her in the garden. Just come straight out of it. And Borsi's like, I've never been so insulted in my life, which he says again about two minutes later. So it's been <laughs> the most insulted he's ever been in the space of five minutes twice. But yeah, it's just really strange, isn't it? I, I don't know. I don't even find it funny. And he's like, oh yeah, she's upstairs. And Dell's like, well, is she? And then he sort of says, goodbye Marlene. He shouts up the stairs and Turns out obviously she was, um, but yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just really strange and just I don't really like it. Yeah, no, I'm the same. It's just like it's just so disappointing, isn't it? Like throughout, especially considering this is the last episode. I know we've got a bit more to go yet and everything, but to me, it, it's a bit more like it's the reason I don't like American comedy because it's so forced and it's so obvious what's going to happen. There's nothing funny. Whereas British comedy, at least for us, obviously maybe we get it a bit more because we're obviously from the island and stuff, but it's a bit more clever usually and like especially John Sullivan like we've seen up until now like he writes some really clever intricate sort of jokes that sort of like sometimes they're not obvious and then you suddenly the penny drops and it's funny but yeah it just seems like he was having like a major off day when he was putting this episode together because just before they go to Boise's they're talking to um they catch up with Denzel he's in uh was it Sopranos pizza parlor mm. and he's like saying like says oh, I'm not having been with Marley and I've been in the hospital and he makes it sound like he's got cancer it's like it's been with me for ages and I had to have the operation then Mickey Pierce appears out of nowhere and he says, oh, you had piles and everything. It's like, you got us all worked up for some hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids, they're more like asteroids. I mean, that <laughs> line's quite funny. But yeah, like you say, when he goes to Boise's and everything, and he's more, you know, never been so insulted in all his life, like five times in a row, he does also come out of another amazing line. He's like, you think I buried her in my garden? You know how much I spent on that garden? I wouldn't dig it up, would I? <laughs> yeah, it's quite good. But yeah, the, the bit in the uh, the pizza place is quite funny, isn't it? Where Mickey just appears out of nowhere conveniently. 
And he's like, what was it? They said it was keyhole surgery. And they didn't tell me it was a keyhole to the bloody fucking Tower of London. We didn't say fucking, but <laughs> I mean, there are some quite good lines there. And um, obviously, Mickey says he, he went out with the nurse who sort of was with Denzel at the time. But again, like, <laughs> I don't think the nurse would have said all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sort of helping this guy. He's got hemorrhoids. I mean, <laughs> I don't think she would have talked about it. But Mickey says she had a few drinks and that's why it came out. But it doesn't really ring true, does it? Well, no, exactly. Why would it be talking about that particular guy that just happens to be a good friend of Mickey's? I say good friend, like an acquaintance at least. You know, how did they go into that subject specifically to identify him? But yeah, like I say, it's done for comedy value. But again, it just doesn't ring true. And then when we cut to the nag's head, because they've got the two tribute acts, they've got Ziggy Sawdust, haven't they? A carpenter <laughs> yeah. who does David Bowie. And then there's like, oh, there's a tribute to Robson and Jerome for some reason. I'm not sure why, but Trigger's just there, like properly getting down to Ziggy Sawdust. And everyone else is kind of just standing there with their drinks sort of swaying back and forth. And he's just like having a little break dance to himself. Trigger's fucking loving it, isn't he? But yeah, it's quite funny, actually, when they're like, oh, yeah, we've got a Robson and Jerome tribute act. And Rodney's like, why? And Sid's like, I don't know, didn't ask him. It's quite a random thing to be a tribute act for, obviously, for comedy value. But old Ziggy Sawdust and his, his guy, they're quite good, aren't they? The little people see of them. I don't know if they're a real fucking, you know, musician or whatever. But, you know, if he's miming on the guitar, the guy, he's doing quite a good job. But then... Obviously, Boise comes in with Marlene, and um, he's like, oh, I know what you've all been saying about my wife, and here she is, and she takes her jacket off, and obviously, coincidentally, like, now her tits are fucking massive, and um, it obviously sparks off a few conversations. Dale gets involved, saying, oh, they're never that big, and Boyce like, how do you know? And, like, again, it harks back to Dale had a thing with Marlene, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's a few bits here, because again, a bit earlier in the episode, it's like Marlene was being a bit sort of spicy in the pub with like Cassandra and Raquel. And then here, she just like kicks off, doesn't she? Because like Raquel and um, Cassandra are sort of just chatting away to each other and they're sort of having a laugh. And then Raquel out of nowhere sort of like kicks off. Are they laughing at me? And walks over and they just, they start bitching at each other. I'm like, that's just really out of character. Because like, I know no one really likes Boise and why would you? But um. Yeah, Marlene's always kind of been the more kind of level-headed, if not a little bit dipsy of the two of them. And there's always gotten on with Cassandra and Raquel. And she just comes over and starts like, they have a big sort of bitch fest. And I'm like, why are you throwing this in there? You know, it's the last episode. There's no reason to start this kind of like rivalry between these two. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like literally they're talking to Denzel, aren't they? And they're just laughing and joking, um, Raquel and Cass. And then Marlene's like, are they laughing at me? And no, Denzel's with Marlene, isn't he? And he's like, no, no, they're just having a good time. Yeah, she goes over there and properly kicks off. It's kind of a little bit out of character. She obviously has a go at what Raquel's wearing. She's wearing the dress and everything. And then Raquel says, well, yeah, you look like a fucking thing that goes on uh, toilet roll holders or whatever, which is right, actually. Raquel, um, Marlene's dress is really strange. But, yeah, they just properly bitch at each other. And there's always been that thing, as we you said there, between Dell and Boise, but Marlene has always been the more grounded sort of person who's just sort of laugh things off, but they get really fucking fruitful with each other, don't they? Yeah, I mean, she even recognises that Boise's a snob and everything, and it's like, you know, she's it's only with him for some reason because of probably his money in that. I'm not saying she's a straight-up gold digger, but that's kind of like the thing, isn't it? Because even Boise says earlier, he's like, come on, Marlene, let's go home and ignore each other for the evening, and then sort <laughs> of bugger off and everything. But, yeah, it's just a really weird one. And then another bit here, because this, this is the last episode of our series, to all our listeners out there, 
it's not that we hate only fools and horses just this episode is just really disappointing it's like it's not like we've suddenly gone around in circles but this bit here is just bloody stupid as well because like Marlene and like Raquel and Cassandra are kicking off and then Sid's just like right Raquel that's it you're barred and Dale's like what do you mean oh yeah uh Marlene you're barred and then Boise's never been insulted in all his life again they bugger off and then there was like oh well, they're, they're paying for, obviously, this is their sort of due and their sort of anniversary party. You shouldn't have barred them. And then Boise comes back in and is like, oh, I'm paying for all this. So he's like, oh, drinks on the house. And I'm like, that's just such shit comedy. You know, Sid's just suddenly this bumbling idiot. He's like, oh, you're barred. No, you're barred. And it just fills out a character for him. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And why would he have barred either of them? Because, you know, they weren't kicking off properly. A little bit of a slanging match, but there's no violence. There's no punches thrown or anything. So why would he be barring them? Yeah, yeah, it's just, again, never a bit of a sort of shittily done sort of bit of comedy, really. I mean, it is amusing in its own right, don't get me wrong. I was sort of like, you know, smiling the way and making me notes, but I'm just like, this just feels so flat and lifeless compared to, you know, <laughs> what we've obviously been used to. Yeah, it does. Um, so let's have a look at what happens next, then. So, with only a few days left before the Trotters are evicted from Nelson Mandela House, Rodney gets an enlarged copy of the 1960s Jolly Boys outing photo and shows it to Cassandra at a restaurant. He shows her who was in the photo. Dale, Boise, Trigger, Denzel, Sid, Roy Slater, Grandad, Reg, and the local gentleman thief, Freddy the Frog, Robdahl, which pictured as Nicholas Lindhurst. He bears an uncanny resemblance to Rodney. Rodney tells Cassandra that Robdahl is his real biological father, explaining the affair Robdahl had with Rodney and Dale's mother, Joan. Meanwhile, back at the flat after returning from the market, Dale finds the original photo and concludes that Rodney has learned the horrible truth. Dale tells Raquel about he only knew uh, Robdahl as Uncle Fred in the 1960s and mentions that only Joan, Uncle Albert and Trigger's Aunt Rini knew about Robdahl and he was Rodney's real father. Dale did have his suspicions for many years but did not believe it until Albert told him after getting drunk at a wet corset contest sometime after the frog's legacy. Dale refused to tell Rodney the truth about his parentage out of fear of breaking his brother's heart. Raquel and Cassandra both asked Dell and Rodney why they will not tell each other. The Trot brothers answer that it would indeed break each other's heart. So yeah, that's um as as we said earlier, when Rodney gets that photo off Sid, yeah right, he he sees Dell straight away, but he doesn't clock Freddie Robdahl, and then suddenly he does, and then obviously Dell does as well, but it's taking him to get it blown up into sort of a different photo before he even notices. It just, I don't know, it just doesn't ring true, does it? No, because like you say, Rodney's got the blown up version and you see him coming out of the shop and he has a look at it in a giggle and then he spots, like say, Freddy the Frog. And then we sort of see he's going out for dinner with Cass and he, that's when he's sort of talking about it. And at the same time, it sort of cuts between him and Cass and Del and Raquel back at the flat and Del kind of finds a small version and he has a look and a giggle and straight away he clocks it. So why the fuck went Rodney, like looking at literally a spitting image of himself, he wouldn't need it blown up to spot it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a bit sort of uh, strange. But I did think like the pictures they got going on, like Roy Slater, like I said there, I guess that he's in there as well. And there's actually Jim Broadbent and some of the others. I'm like, I wonder if they actually got like proper pictures of that lot when they were young and kind of like chopped them all together to make that or if they're just kind of edited and sort of morphed pictures because some of them look quite convincing, I thought. I've always wondered that as well. Because obviously um, Raquel's like, and that was Cass, isn't it? She's like, there's Boise those eyes and obviously it's a younger picture of John Chalice yeah I've always wondered if it was you know they they got pictures of them when they were younger and put them all together or whether they just did a bit of trickery I don't know but 
<laughs> she's like, she, she when she points out Boise in particular, she's like, oh, those eyes. It's like, well, it's not the only striking resemblance he's got, like, or his striking feature. You can tell it's fucking Boise, not even by his eyes. Obviously, Denzel's got a bit of an afro going on. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, the, the photo does look quite genuine, doesn't it? Like, it is 30 years old, whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's no, a good little prop, actually. I mean, I bet it's, you know, as a fan, that'd be an awesome prop to have if you could ever get your hands on it. I'm mm. sure there's only a couple of copies out there. But, yeah, I quite liked it. And um, just going back a bit, there's a couple of good lines in the bit in the, the flat before it sort of cuts to this scene because this is where, like, Raquel's found out about, like, the letter and everything, as the synopsis said, and she's kicking off at Dell and he's saying, no, but I've had to do this, you know, been on my own, and I've had to, you know, struggle with everything myself. I'm not used to sort of sharing the guilt or the, sharing the weight of anyone. And then they're sort of blaming each other for all the ideas they're coming up with, and Dell sort of kicks off, and he's like, well, Raquel, you told me to get a loan, a loan from Boise. i got Rodney over here making Freddy Krueger in the chocolate factory, <laughs> and Trigger scratching his ass with a chopstick. I thought that was a great little, like... And then um, they're like, oh, and who was going to produce this movie? And Rodney turns around and goes, oh, Alfred Stockcock over here, and points at Dell. Well, there's some great little lines coming out of it. Yeah, there are some quite good lines, aren't there? Because Raquel's packing in. She, she's ready to leave. She's like, I've fucking had enough of this. I'm off. And she's obviously going to take Damien with her. But yeah, there are some quite good lines. They mentioned Quentin Tarantino as well, which I guess when this was, um, which was, that, was it 2003? I mean, he, he's a big director, producer, whatever now, but I mean, I suppose he was in his prime back then, so he gets a bit of a name drop as well, doesn't he? He does, yeah, there's a fair few bits that are kind of, again, it feels like quite a modern episode, even though, again, like 20 years old, but in the grand scheme of things, it's much more modern than obviously the first ones were, because it's more stuff that we're kind of, the modern audience would be a bit more familiar with. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, obviously, we've said about Harry Potter getting a mention, then Tarantino, and although this is 20 years old, it does just those sort of name drops does make it feel a lot more modern, doesn't it? Obviously, the first episode was 1981, so 40-odd years ago. Just strange hearing sort of modern things that now we, we sort of recognise in our everyday lives being mentioned. And obviously, Raquel has a go at Dell when she's leaving about his image and everything, which has obviously played a part throughout the whole 40 years of Only Falls and Horses. She's like, you're all about image and all that. And he drives around in the older gear with the windows down or up because um, it makes him look like he's got air conditioning so he's still obviously going all on about well still all about image even 40 years later it's just Dell isn't it yeah it's just this kind of natural swag isn't it and then sort of bringing it a bit more up to speed when the whole doing the whole thing about the Frederick Roddell I, I thought it was good that they finally acknowledged it because we all know didn't we as the audience we knew that obviously Joan sort of like and Reg, they weren't a happy married couple. Reg was a dickhead. Obviously, Joan was always being like a bit of a good time girl and stuff. And the whole thing from Frog's Legacy, we knew that he was Rodney's dad. But to actually say, to finally put like the sort of like the, the exclamation mark on it and sort of say, yeah, he's definitively Rodney's dad. Rodney now knows, Del now knows, it's sort of out in the open. But I did think this whole section went on just a, a mite too long. I mean, this is like a 70-odd-minute episode, and it probably could have been a 60-minute episode because this just keeps going back and forth between Dell and Rodney. And it's like, yeah, it's touching on a fairly kind of personal, like, drama-based part of this whole saga. They could have cut out loads of the silly bollocks from earlier on and focused a bit more on this to wrap things up because this is where I think kind of the meat and veg of the episode is, like, cementing the fact that, obviously, Rodney's now finding out definitively who his dad is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of, I suppose, quite good that that thing is finally addressed because, like I say, since the Frog's Legacy, we've always had that sort of 
wonder and Rodney sort of knew in the back of his mind that something was awry there. And obviously Dell comes out with the fact that he sort of, well, he knew as well, but didn't want to tell Rodney. So in that respect, it's quite good that it was wrapped up, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, when Cass is going through the photo and she's picking out all the names and eventually she goes, and there's you. And Rodney's like, yeah, that's me like 30 years before I was born or whatever he says, you know, well, whenever. It's just, yeah, okay, it does wrap things up. It's just a really strange way of doing it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I just think for a final episode, that would have been, if I was in John Sullivan's shoes, that's what I would have been focusing on more and built the episode a bit more around it instead of just, because the rest of the episode is pretty much, I don't know, nondescript. It doesn't really lead anywhere or give us anything other than the fact that we know that Dale was obviously in die straight at the moment and he keeps getting letters from the solicitor and stuff which obviously play a part when the episode wraps up in a minute but I just feel like he wasted a lot of time on stuff that was kind of a bit wank and he could have focused on actually wrapping up what mattered like the kind of one or two loose threads that were there yeah exactly I mean we find out that obviously Albert had told Dell to synopsis that Barry got drunk and told Dell um, and Aunt Rini gets a mention as well because um, she knew the story but yeah, I mean, Dell's hidden it from Rodney all this time, and I guess I suppose you can see why. But it is good that it came out, and um, I suppose it's one way of wrapping things up. We, I mean, I said particularly. I mean, you were quite happy with um, if they can see us now, but I did say the whole Rodney story in in Cass wasn't wrapped up. So I suppose this does wrap that up in a way, because in a minute when we do the final bit, obviously they have the baby. So I suppose in in that respect, it is quite good that that was sort of um, dealt with as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, they, I think they kind of had to address that because, as we've said several times now, it sounded like a broken record. Apologies, listeners. But that whole um, miscarriage thing just never sat right with me. I just don't think it was necessary. No. So let's have a look at how it wraps up in the bread roll. This is fucking huge for the last five minutes. So um, I'll try my best. So the next morning, Dell and Rodney are called to see a solicitor named Mr. Cartwright, thinking that, they will, uh, that he will charge them with fraud since they failed to pay the inland revenue. But Mr. Cartwright brings good news to the Trotter brothers. After reading a copy of Albert's will, the Trotters discover that Albert never spent his share of the Trotter fortune, but invested it in a far more stable area prior to his death, while his nephews invested their shares in the Central American market. According to his will, Albert wanted to give his enlarged share of the fortune to his nephews, leaving them with £140,000 each. Dell and Rodney are both stunned by all of this until Dell gets a phone call from Raquel telling him that Cassandra has gone into labour. Dell and Rodney race to the hospital, where Cassandra has delivered a baby girl via cesarean section. A few days later, Rodney takes his daughter to the cemetery to visit his mother's grave. He looks up to the heavens and voices his hope that she and Freddy the Frog really loved each other. He notes his regret that he never really knew her, as well as this hope that his daughter will grow up to be like her. As Dale pulls up, Rodney then says that if she ever sees Albert, Joan should tell him that Rodney and Dale said thanks. Dell arrives and asks Rodney if he came up with a name for his daughter. Rodney hints at Dell to look at the mother's grave, which now reads, Here lies Joan Mavis Trotter, fell asleep the 12th of March 1964, wife of Reg, mother of Dell Boy and Rodney, grandmother of Damien and Joan. As they prepare to leave the cemetery, Rodney asks if Dell is anything like his father. Uh, uh, sorry, Rodney asks Dell if he's anything like his father, Freddy the Frog. Dale replies firmly by saying that Rob Dale was a womanizer, a homebreaker, a con man, a thief, and a liar, and a cheat. So no, Rodney, 
you're nothing like him. The Trot brothers then leave the cemetery and drive home to Nelson Mandela House with a new Joan Trotter in the world. Rodney also announces that he has no intention of continuing to write his movie, which Dell agrees is a good idea. So that's a fair fucking chunk there of what happens at the end. Um, yeah, and obviously Rodney's named his daughter Joan, fair enough, after his mum, but I'm not quite sure how that grave was done so quickly to have the name on there. It's a bit fucking weird. Yeah, well, it's probably just like, um, I don't know, acrylic, isn't it? Like panel coming on and off. It's probably not legit from the Trotters' graves now. But yeah, that does seem a bit of a quick turnaround. And fair play for getting for that... Um, that chunk of synopsis there, that was a big old heft. I'd have sounded like a Swahili rapper if I was trying to read all that. So, <laughs> fair. Good, good job on you, man. <laughs> it was a little bit of a chunk, wasn't it? I mean, Rodney and um, they're about to talk about the photo, aren't they? When um, Rodney, uh, when uh, Raquel calls, like they're sat in the solicitors, and Rodney says, Oh, you know, about the photo. And he's uh, literally about to say something about Freddie. And then Raquel calls Dell, which kind of pulls it away from sort of Dell having to tell him that he knew all along yeah yes yeah, i don't know it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere does it? after all that build-up it's just kind of like oh yeah we both knew all along it's like okay fair enough and that's pretty much it but i suppose i do reconcile a few bits and pieces um one thing i will say is we get that classic bbc only fools and horses style really dramatic music in the um uh in the hospital don't we when they go into Obviously, to see Cassandra and everything, and it's just like a typical like sort of music. So it doesn't really go with what's going on. No, it doesn't. No, that's a good impression of Red Roll. But <laughs> obviously, they turn up, and it, it almost feels like something dramatic is going to happen again, isn't it? Raquel's like, "Oh, you can't go and see Cassandra. You know, she, she's had to have an emergency C-section. Oh, fucking hell, not again. You know, something bad's happened." But then she's like, "Oh." But both mother and baby are fine. And then obviously we do get to, to meet the baby. But at first you're like, shit, what's happened here? It's like it all gone tits up again. Yeah, I know. And it's just like, again, it's just, again, I don't like it because it's like you've pretty much done this before. And like you say, completely retreading what you've done, except this time you're going to do like the happy end. It's like an alternate ending, isn't it? That's what mm. it feels like. It's like this is what how it should have ended the first time around more than anything. Um and it's also a bit of a shame that we don't get um, Alan and, is it Pam? Cassandra stands out name. Yeah, um, yeah. Alan and Pam, I think it would have been a good idea just to bring them in for this bit, you know, as again, it's the last episode and we haven't seen them for ages. Um, it would have been good just to sort of have them make an appearance as sort of like part of the family, but obviously they, they didn't come in but um, for one reason or another, but I just thought that was a missed opportunity. That's a good shout, actually. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously we talked about it on the their final episode. They were both in, I think, I think it might have been only Alan, actually, who was in that episode. Pam didn't really make that many appearances, did she, overall? She was only in a couple of episodes. But, yeah, it would have been nice to see them again. And you think they would have been there to see their daughter give birth or they would have, you know, been there shortly after. But they didn't even get mentioned, do they? No, and even when they were going through the whole kind of miscarriage thing, you would have thought that dad, the parents would have come around to sort of see Cassandra and stuff. But, yeah, it's just a shame that we never got to kind of see him again because I quite like Alan as a character. And then when we get to the bit like Rodney visiting the grave, I thought, in a way, that's a nice touch because this is the first time he's actually ever gone to the grave on his own and spoken to his mum the way Del Boy does because, he, as he's mentioned before, like he always feels cheated that he never got to know her. He only has like Del's interpretation of her. Then as the years have gone on, obviously hearing bits and pieces from other people. But this is the first time he's kind of actually gone and acknowledged her properly 
and spoken to her and said, obviously, he hopes she's happy and that. And thought, I guess, him kind of like coming around more to like sort of Del Boy's level type thing. Yeah, that's a good show, actually. Because, like you say, we've only ever seen Del there sort of talking to her and sort of visiting the grave. We've never seen Rodney do it. The only couple of times we've seen him there is when Del's dragged him there for various reasons, but he's never been there on his own accord, really, has he? So that's a really good shout. And, um, 12th of March, she died. That's um, that's Kirsty's birthday. Random uh, little fact there. <laughs> oh, blimey, it's a strange coincidence. But um, yeah, I mean, then obviously we get that nice sort of like thing that Dell says when Rodney's like, "Am I anything like him apart from looks?" And it's the synopsis said there, like he was like a womanizer, he was like a cheater and all that sort of stuff. So no, you're nothing like him. I thought that's you know quite a nice touching thing for Dell to say because you know that deep down, Dell's always been like really proud of Rodney and he loves him the bits and everything. And then it just kind of ends with them driving off towards Nelson Mandela house and he sort of said, oh, I don't think we're going to make that movie. It's like, oh, Rodney, that's a bloody good idea. And that's how it ends. The music kicks in and the credits roll and that was the uh, the final episode of Only Fools. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite nice the way sort of Dale says that, isn't it? I mean, they've, they've never talked about Freddy until then. And Dale's like, no, you're nothing like him. I mean, in the, uh, the Frog's Legacy, obviously, they say he was a bit of a Sort of, he was a cool character almost, don't they? They sort of big him up almost, but then Dale turns around and says, No, he's a cheat, womanizer, and all that sort of stuff, and no, you're nothing like him. Um, so yeah, that is quite nice. Um, but it's sort of Dale's way, he doesn't sort of openly admit that he's his dad, even does he? He just says, No, you're nothing like him, but it's sort of obviously it's been acknowledged that he is his father, but he doesn't come out with the exact words, does he? He was your dad, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they don't want to get sued by George Lucas saying he was your father or anything like that. But <laughs> um, yeah, like I say, they don't fully, he doesn't want to bring the words out. I suppose for Dell, he's also got to admit to himself that, you know, Joan cheated on Reg. Not that he would probably blame her anyway. Reg was a fucking bellend, as we know. But either way, and obviously, like we know, Joan's always been like Mother Teresa or like the Virgin Mary in Dell's eyes some way. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, Joan couldn't do anything wrong, could she? Um, in Dell's eyes, and also, Dell almost thinks of him himself as Rodney's father, doesn't he? He's he's brought him up since he was young, and um, he's been the father figure. And obviously, Freddie died when he did, so he was never involved really. But Dell sort of sees himself as Rodney's guardian, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it as well. It's a good angle, yeah, because I say he's like that sort of father figure to him. Rodney's more than a brother, isn't he? He's kind of everything to him, but yeah. Yeah, so that is the final episode, Red Ralph. We've come to the end of Only Fools and Horses, and I wouldn't say this is a bad episode. It probably is the weakest of all 62, 64 episodes we've done. Um, But it does have its moments, and it does wrap a few things up. I suppose it had to be wrapped up. I mean... Cass could have had the baby six episodes ago, but she didn't. We we don't really know why that miscarriage was in there. We've talked about it at length. It really didn't have a sort of part to play, really. It was a bit strange. Um, and we finally get to acknowledge that Rodney is um, Freddie's son. Um, yeah, so it did wrap a few things up, but it's a bit of a strange episode. And as we said, some of the scenes just seem a little bit forced. Yeah, yeah, it's- Totally agree. So again, it's not like a bad episode as such. It's not like shit or anything, but it definitely is. If I had to say what the weakest episode of the whole saga is, it's definitely this one. And it's it's a shame as well because it's like ending such a great, amazing show on such a kind of like 
damp note, really. And not, not a damp note as in, obviously, um, storyline-wise, just the episode is just quite flat and it just doesn't feel up to you. It doesn't have the kind of flow. It doesn't have the kind of, like, bounce that we're used to of Only Fools and Horses. So it's a bit of a shame, really. I mean, as I said at the start, I think this is the episode I may have watched the least. And it's that's probably the reason why, because it's just, I don't know, nothing that really draws me back to this episode particularly. But there are... Once again, a couple of good moments and there's some good lines in there. And it is good to always see an episode that's got all the kind of characters in, which is a bit more common in these later episodes as a whole, really. Um, but yeah, it's just a strange one. But on another note as well, it's just uh, we've come to the end of this uh, particular podcast, which has been a hell of a good journey to do with yourself. And um, I'm sure I speak for you as well when I say this to our listeners. But thank you very much for joining us on this particular journey. It's a bit of a bittersweet episode, really. It's a bit of a floppy episode to end it on, but also an achievement that we've actually managed to stay roughly on schedule and get it all done. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, it's been going on for over a year now. We've, we've tried to put them out weekly. There's been a few gaps. I think we went a month without an episode, but we've got there in the end. Um, we, we've done the whole lot. And yeah, it's it's kind of quite sad. I'm getting a little bit emotional here. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're at the end, bread roll. It's all, uh, all over. Well, that's it. So... To all our listeners out there who have been with us, you know, since the start or picked up, you know, sort of midway through or working your way through the episodes as they are by the time you get to this point. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the journey with us and letting us uh, waffle on in our weird and peculiar way about Only Fools and Horses and um, bearing <laughs> with us with our hectic schedule. Um, it's not the very end, though. So we have got a few other things in the pipeline. We may come back down the line with a couple of specials. We've got a few things planned. Um, but as far as the actual what we set out to do with this podcast is just to look at every episode in sequence. It is now achieved. Indeed. Yeah, we do have a few things in the pipeline. Um, guests here and there, hopefully they can, uh, they can come on a um, little bit of a, you know, a look back on maybe some of the episodes or only falls in, in general. And we've got, we're not going to announce it just yet. But we, we do have a, a very big project in the pipeline which is nothing to do with only fools and horses and nothing to do with british comedy so yeah stay tuned yeah going to take a, a sort of step to the side but something that i think has got a massive fan base and i'm hoping a lot of people might join us for that um and, and enjoy enjoy the ride as much as they've enjoyed this one hopefully so um yeah this is pretty much the uh the last time i get to say this but before i sign off i just have to say one more thing it's not goodbye it's just bonjour and this is Bread Rolls signing off. <laughs> and for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. Get out and take your foster tits with you. No income tax, no VAT. No money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor. We'll cut prices and a straw.